0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Our text today is verses 5 and 6. This particular section of Scripture, I believe, actually goes through verse 10. Uh, and the focus moves from faith to obedience. But there's so much here that I wanted to say about faith that we're going to look at verses 5 and 6 and then come back in another message to verses 7 10. We'll read these verses here in just a moment in a message entitled, Increase Our Faith. Now in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus related to people who were known sinners and shared the truth with them much to the dismay of the religious people who thought they had it all together. He shared the parable of the lost son, who we know as the prodigal son, and taught on sin and repentance. He taught his disciples on how to address sin appropriately and how to deal with it and to do so practically. Jesus said that if someone sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns saying, I repent, then you should forgive and restore the person. Faith is necessary to relate to other people in difficult circumstances in a way that honors God. The disciples knew that they needed God's help to live in such a way that would honor him, and we need his help as well. Luke chapter 17 and verse 5 says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, verse 6, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Oz Guinness is an author and a social critic who is also a Christian. He founded an organization called the Trinity Forum, and Guinness referred to a British playwright who had a characteristic line in one of his plays who said, it's not death, it's life that defeats the Christian church. She's always been equipped to deal with death. And then Guinness went on to reference faith, and he said it's wonderful in an emergency, but what about the everyday? Well, I want you to know in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is speaking to everyday life. How can we understand what faith is? How can we exercise it in an appeal to God? And how can we see the evidence or the fruit that comes from it? And while Christian faith is ultimately beyond this world, it is directly applicable to this world. And in light of these difficult teachings that Jesus had been sharing, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. When they heard these demands from Jesus, it made them wonder how they could ever meet those demands. They thought this is impossible and they were right. It is impossible from a human standpoint, but it is not impossible with God. Jesus, after all, had cautioned the people who wanted to follow him but first take care of their family members, that they needed to get their priorities right and make the kingdom of God first priority without looking back. He told the crowds who were traveling with him that if they wanted to be his disciple, then they had to deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow him. And as we consider that, we have to ask the Lord, how is it that we can do such things? We can only do them by faith. So in these few moments that we have together, we're going to consider the nature of faith, the means of faith, and then the result of faith. First of all, the nature of faith is rooted in an internal trust in God. Faith is often misunderstood. A lot of people present faith as if it's the opposite of rational thought. So in culture, you'll hear people talk about faith more in terms of wishful thinking. And then you don't have to look very far to find people who just outright dismiss faith. The Skeptics' Dictionary says that faith is a non-rational belief in some proposition. The Urban Dictionary says that faith is insubstantial, irrational belief not supported by faith or reason, but by assumption alone. When we think about what faith is biblically, We might describe it as a deliberate confidence in the character of God. Faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God and who he is. And you can have an internal trust in God because God is holy, he's faithful, he's loving, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's good. Numbers 23 and verse 19 says, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Of course, these are rhetorical questions because the answer is obviously no, he doesn't do these things. And the reason that he doesn't do these things is because God's nature is faithfulness. And he has a record of keeping his word. And we could agree today on the grand acts of God throughout history as we know them and even going back into eternity past. But you know what else we could do if we had time? We could give you an opportunity as a follower of Christ to give a testimony of the faithfulness of God in your life. And you could look back at those markers along the way where you can say God was faithful. It might have been difficult, but God was faithful. That's who he is. He's promised that he will always be with us. He knows what we need better than we do and nothing is too hard for him. Now, of course, the Bible provides a concise definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, where the scripture says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. The word reality is also translated as substance and the reality or the substance Uh, refers to the essential nature of things. Uh, These were uh, ideas that referred to the foundation of a house or maybe the title deed to a piece of property. So if you think about your faith, your faith is the title deed to everything in the future. You possess the title deed to things in the future, and they're wrapped up in a confident assurance that you know these things are going to come to pass because God in his very character is faithful and then in his actions he has demonstrated that faithfulness. The word proof or evidence in the second part of the verse refers to a legal proof in a courtroom. Faith is proof to the soul that enables us to see with our soul what cannot be seen with our eyes alone. Hebrews chapter 11 moves in verse 2 to say, the ancestors were approved by this and they were commended for this. Who were the ancestors? People like Noah and Moses and David and Ruth and Esther and Job and Daniel and all the others who trusted in God. And it's faith that believes when others do not believe. It's faith that sees when others do not see. And it's faith that does what others will not do. And God is calling you to trust in him for your provision, your well-being, and guidance for life. After all, God calls people to a life of faith throughout the scripture. The only way that we can experience the full reality and love and power of our heavenly father is when we trust in him. And it's when we trust in him that we see him move in our lives. Psalm 9 and verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So we can look to God and we can say, God, you can be trusted. And the reason that you can be trusted is because you are trustworthy. And not only are you trustworthy, but we can see evidence in our lives of how you've been faithful to us throughout our days on this earth. And with that as a solid foundation, Our faith is rooted in an internal trust in God. And I want to challenge you to meditate on the character of God. Meditate on the faithfulness of God. And when you meditate on these things and you spend time in his word, then God will build your trust in him. And I ask you more specifically, where do you need God's help in your life today? What circumstance is it that you're dealing with that you need wisdom to be able to to do it right? What obstacle lies in front of you that you need to overcome, that you need God's help with? Do you have an internal trust that God can help you with all of those things? Because not only can he, but he will do this for you if you'll trust in him. The nature of faith is rooted in an internal trust in God. Second, the means of faith is expressed in an external appeal to god now most of us believe in the power of god and we do so through reading the bible and through prayer and our own personal experiences but let's just be honest for a moment that the things that we know in our heads it's sometimes challenging to apply to our lives Sometimes we think about our faith, and there are things that we would not argue with, but we have a very difficult time actually applying them to our lives. And, And this is that point at which we have to decide if what we believe is really true, and if it is in fact true, then we need to apply it to our lives and place our trust in God wholeheartedly. I want you to think about it this way. Faith, in a sense, is a belief system. Trust is faith in action. Trust is faith in action that is expressed in an external appeal to God. And when we believe in Him, that trust will take it a step further, and we will make a willful choice to trust God in all that He has promised to do, and we will ask Him to do so. Let me say it a little bit more directly. Faith without trust is not faith. You know, James said, faith without works is dead. Well, faith without trust is dead as well. Belief without reliance always comes up short. And there's a whole host of people that believe a lot of facts about Jesus Christ, but knowing a lot of facts about Jesus Christ does not equate to actually trusting in him with your life. And the biblical definition of faith requires trust in and commitment to what you believe to be true and asking God to help you. Let me illustrate this from the scripture. There's a story of when Jesus returned from the Mount of Transfiguration. He came to a large crowd that was uh, surrounding his disciples. And there's a vigorous discussion going on. And when Jesus gets there, he asks what's happening? Now, Jesus, I believe, already knew what was happening, but he wanted to hear from them what was happening. And there was a man in the crowd, and the man in the crowd uh, explained that the disciples had been trying to cast a demon out of his son, but they had failed. So Jesus replies in Mark chapter 9, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And when this evil spirit saw Jesus' He threw the boy to the ground, and the father said to Jesus, If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus, in turn, spoke words of assurance to the man and said, Everything is possible to the one who believes. The boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The demon was cast out of the boy by Jesus, and Jesus told his disciples, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, here's a connection I don't want you to miss in in this message. There is a direct correlation between faith and prayer. Prayer is a powerful gift from God when it is expressed in faith. A prayerless life is a faithless life. A prayerful life is a faithful life. They're inextricably linked. And it's been said that faith may move mountains, but prayer moves God. One of my favorite Psalms on prayer is Psalm 86, not this evening, but next Sunday evening. Uh, We're going to have a a prayer gathering. And after our prayer gathering, we're going to have our quarterly congregational gathering to take care of some things that we need to take care of. And as our template for our prayer gathering, we're going to use Psalm 86. It's really interesting because in Psalm 86, uh, David pieces together some verses and phrases from other psalms and other scriptures. And he offers prayer to God in what is obviously a desperate situation. And he lifts up, he expresses his faith to God with a sense of extreme urgency. And in it, we learn some lessons. We learn that we're to pray according to our needs. In verse 1, he says, incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. The starting point of faith is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I need some help with my son. The starting point of, of applying our faith as Christians is, Jesus, I need some help with my marriage. I need some help with my child. I need some help with my resources. I need some help with my work. And we come to God in this urgency and we realize that our our faith is practical. It's not just for the by and by. Our faith is for the here and now. And if we believe it's for the here and now, we're going to pray according to our needs. We're going to pray in reliance on God's grace. Psalm 86 and verse 3, he says, be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. You see, we don't just receive the grace of God when we're saved. We receive super abundant grace every single day. The gospel is not just for the point at which we believe. The gospel is for the entirety of our lives. Because as we live in the superabundant grace of God and we express our needs to him, we realize that God gives us this grace in an abundant measure, and it's only by grace that we can live a life that is pleasing to him. And we pray with a sense of urgency. Verse 6, Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cries for mercy. We pray knowing that God is the only one who can help. Verse 8, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. E.M. Bounds wrote that we can do nothing without prayer. He said all things can be done by importune prayer. That means persevering prayer. He said it surmounts or removes all obstacles. It overcomes every resisting force and it gains its ends in the face of an invincible hindrance. You express the means of your faith in an external appeal to God. So I ask you, Is your life evidenced by prayerfulness, which reveals a faithfulness? Or is your life characterized by prayerlessness, which reveals faithlessness without faith? It doesn't have to be that way. God has called us to a life of communion with him. And the means of faith is expressed in an external appeal to God. And then third, the result of faith is seen in the response from God. Now remember, the request from the disciples for increased faith was related to the need for faith specifically in getting along with other people in a forgiving way. So he's dealing here with just practical relationship issues. He's dealing with how do we extend the grace that's been first extended to us. And the Bible teaches us that people of faith have the ability to forgive. You remember Abraham, the father of the faithful. He was a man of faith. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And you remember when the herdsmen of Lot quarreled with his herdsmen. Abraham did not quarrel with them but calmly gave Lot his choice. And Abraham's faith fostered a forgiving spirit? Or what about Joseph, a man who was full of faith, who forgave his brothers and his brothers who sold him into slavery? They they certainly didn't deserve to be forgiven. Or what about Moses when he was reviled by Miriam and Aaron? He did not retaliate, but he humbly trusted in God. Or what about David who stood over the sleeping Saul as they were urging him to kill Saul but yet he spared his life and the reason that he spared his life was because he trusted in God. Example after example in the scripture of people extending grace to others and I do not think that the faith that is referenced here in Luke chapter 17 is spoken of in the sense of a commodity where Jesus is speaking even in terms of the measure of it here but rather the appeal of it And if you'll look again here in verse 6, Jesus makes the reference to the mustard seed. After all, the smallest of known seeds at that time. A couple of times in the scripture he referenced this. And when there was a a mountain nearby, uh, he didn't use the example of the mulberry tree. He used the example of a mountain. But mustard itself is an herb. And a typical mustard bush or tree could have grown to a height of 12 to 15 feet and to a width of that was as wide as it was tall. So follow the illustration that Jesus is teaching here. That little tiny mustard seed could grow into something that had a great effect. And he's saying even the smallest amount of faith can have a profound impact resulting in something that is great. Now, we often think of faith as being exercised only in dramatic, miraculous works. But faith ought to be applied to the ordinary experiences of life. And when we apply faith to the ordinary experiences of life, even when it's a small amount of faith, then it can bring about an extraordinary influence on things like our relationships through forgiveness. And faith in that regard is like a mustard seed. And if you have faith like that, you can see some impossible things come to pass in your life. And what you need is a faith that serves as the seed, and then it grows as you apply it to your life. And then Jesus uses the illustration of the mulberry tree. They grew in the semi-arid regions. Uh, That particular kind did, and Jesus uses it as an illustration. According to one commentator, the roots of a mulberry tree were thought to be extraordinarily strong to the point that the roots were so strong that they could, in fact, stay rooted for 600 years. Did you know that unforgiveness and bitterness can become so rooted in your life that it can be like one of those mulberry trees that puts roots so deep down that it seems impossible to get rid of? But through faith, you know what the Lord can do in your life? He can rip those roots of bitterness and unforgiveness out of your heart, and He can plant them in the sea. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about the power of God that comes through faith. I understand at times that sin seems like it's insurmountable. There might be somebody in this room today or listening online or, or who will listen to the message later on who thinks to themselves, if you knew really who I am and if you really knew what I'd done and if you really knew the depths to which I have sunk, you would know that I am beyond the help of God. And I'm here to tell you today that in this life, Nobody is beyond the reach of God. If they will come to him in repentance and faith, God can work something new in their lives. Listen to Psalm 103 and verse 10 through 12. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Aren't you thankful that the God of the universe does not treat us as our sins deserve? And that he does not repay us according to our iniquities when our faith is in him? Is that not what grace is all about? That we come undeserving that we come to the foot of the cross. We don't come offering things to God that would measure up for our salvation. There is nothing that can measure up to the holiness and the righteousness of God. We come with empty hands and we say to God, God, we are a sinner. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. And I'm thankful for what you've done for me in Christ. But then here's the next part of this. You might be forgiven in the grace of God, And yet you find it incredibly difficult to forgive other people. And yet the command of Scripture is to forgive others based on the way God has forgiven you. Mark 6 and verse 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And God calls us To forgive others as we've been forgiven. Think about what God has done at the cross. How could it be that we could look at the great price of what God has done through his only son, that he would lay our sins and our iniquities on the savior, that the very wrath of God would rest on the only son of God. And then we could see that that's how our forgiveness comes to us through the blood of Jesus and through the power of his resurrection. And then we look at that and we say, well, it's too hard for me to forgive somebody else. If that's how you're living, what you're doing is diminishing the price that was paid for your salvation to begin with. And admittedly, none of us can apply this forgiveness without the power of God working in our lives. I pick back up in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because it's through faith that we come to God and it's through faith that we live for God. And I'd say to you today that when you exercise faith, the result of your faith is seen in the response from God. So here's my encouragement and challenge for you. Ask God to increase your faith. Ask him to help you, and he will. I close with a story that I read in Guidepost by Tracy Eldridge, entitled, Open Your Heart to Forgiveness. Tracy Eldridge writes, Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. It restores relationships and makes things right. But in the real world, it's hard. A few months ago, a colleague did something that hurt me professionally, and as far as I was concerned, she didn't deserve my forgiveness. Shortly after the incident, I saw her walking down the hallway toward me and wondered, should I take the stairs and avoid her entirely, or do I walk by without speaking so that she'll know how angry I am? But as we approached one another, I knew what I had to do. I had to forgive, but it was hard. Grudgingly, I said, hello. And I started to feel my anger subside. I felt lighter. Jesus was doing a work in my heart. Eldridge goes on to write, Years ago, before I knew the Lord, I wouldn't have considered forgiveness. I would have nursed my grudge and worn it like a badge of honor. Thankfully, as Jesus helped me to wholly forgive, my heart toward my coworker has changed. I'm not trapped in bitterness and hurt. I'm moving forward in love. Jesus forgave me of all my sins, paying a horrendous cost for my salvation. And in turn, I am commanded to forgive so that I can receive forgiveness for my heavenly father. He asked me to forgive for my benefit. The burden of being unwilling to forgive is heavy, but I'm learning that with forgiveness comes freedom and peace. Forgiveness isn't a sign of weakness, but love. And then Elders writes this, Jesus' willingness to give his life, and forgive my sins is the ultimate act of love. And when I forgive others, I am his love in action. The love of Jesus in action in the world. Let's bow our heads together for a moment. Here in just a moment, we're going to pray and Pastor Eric's going to come and lead us in a closing song, and then I'll have some parting comments to you as we wrap up the service. But here we are, and we've been called to this life of faith that is practical, but it's also hard. We've been forgiven greatly, and God is pleased with our faith. It's the only way we can please Him. So I wonder today, is your life being lived in faith in a way that is pleasing to God? Are you seeking Him that you might grow in your faith? Is there some obstacle in front of you that you need the Lord's help with? Would you just express that to Him right now? And say, God, you know the circumstance of my life. You know the situation I'm dealing with. You know this obstacle that's in front of me. Give me wisdom and grace on how to deal with it. And then maybe there's some people here who have those roots of unforgiveness and bitterness that have gone deep into their hearts. And you're the one that's suffering. And there's something that you need to lay at the foot of the cross and say, God, I can't, but you can. Help me. Help my unbelief. Increase my faith. God, may we be your love in action. In order for us to forgive, we have to be forgiven. And I pray if there are any who have not repented and believed, on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, that today would be the day. I pray that my brothers and sisters in Christ would have their faith increased and that they would see just how practical it is for the day-to-day life. And that we would lean on you, God, for everything that we need. Thank you for your love for us that is unending. Thank you for the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. We give this time of close and response over to you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.